Welcome to Digital Health Unfiltered. I'm Sudipto Srivastava. And I am Nick Jeans. In this podcast, we share our insights from the cutting edge of health IT. Hello and welcome. Welcome back to Digital Health Unfiltered. We're going to be talking today about an article that uh, my co-host Dipto authored recently about uh, the four D's of remote patient monitoring. And we're going to be joined by a special guest, an old friend of the pod, Daryl Holler. Hello, Daryl. Hello, hello. How are you doing? Happy to be here. Hey, great to have you, Daryl. So, Sadipto, let's talk about this article. Very exciting. Um, key concepts for remote patient monitoring. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Um, and Daryl, always good to chat with you and hear your perspectives. You know, first things first, you know, in case you were wondering, uh, in the article, I talk about the four D's of uh, remote patient monitoring. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I must be thinking about like diamonds or something. Is there's a four C's of diamond, something about clarity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was thinking of the 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 C's. Were you in were, the, were you in the markets for new diamonds? No, nah, happily married. But uh, okay, <laughs> great, good, good. I was thinking of uh, the five C's of clinical documentation, or maybe the the five D's of dodgeball. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fine. Yeah, that's always funny. But, um, but no, Sudipto, tell us uh, what are the, the D's of uh, remote patient monitoring and, and how what is this ultimate guide of yours? Well, yeah, thank you. And of course, uh, you know, it's uh, I'm sure the, uh, the marketing and the press teams got a little ahead of themselves because it's this I, I, I don't think this is the ultimate starter kit for remote patient monitoring. There's a lot of other thought leaders out there that have been thinking about this, uh, including the both of you, um, whom I lean on a lot when it comes to thought leadership in this area. But anyway, here we are. And the way that you know I structured this, uh, this write-up really was starting to think about remote, posh, uh, remote patient monitoring in, the, in terms of like four Ds. I call it the devices, the data, dialogue, and like dropping charges, which is kind of a proxy for reimbursement. And you know, we, there's there's this shiny toy syndrome that kind of takes over uh, when we talk about remote patient monitoring, where a lot of people focus on the technology, the tools, and, you know, what the actual wearable is and the devices. And I try to represent a lot more of the operational challenges that, or the operational items that people need to sort of, you know, consider when they think of uh, remote patient monitoring. So break it, breaking it down just a little further, you know, so D number one is devices. How do you pick the right devices? Make sure that you have thought of all the logistics of getting the devices to the patients and connectivity and providing support. The second D is data. You know, make sure that you're thinking about what frequency uh, of the data needs to be in terms of it coming to you, like managing the volume, like, you know, the review of the data. Who's going to look at it? What's the liability with the data? Um, it's a lot of people think about that 3 a.m. call. If something's coming in, what, what happens if you don't you know, react to it? Where are you going to store it? How are you going to access it? The third D is around the dialogue. And this is the dialogue between the patients and the clinical teams. Um, and even thinking of dialogue from a AI machine learning perspective, like are you going to use bots to have a dialogue? And then the final D being dropping charges, which I said was a proxy for reimbursements is who's going to pay for this? Is it really going to have the right ROI for the patient population? 
You know, who's uh, investing in this thing? Do you have the right sort of you know, partnerships and so on? So that's really the high level summary. Um, but, you know, again, I'm really curious to get your thoughts and reactions to it because, um, you know, was there something that caught your eye um, as a critical, critical step that, you know, maybe we want our audience to be aware of? Daryl, what do you think? Yeah, no, thank you. And, um, you know, when it comes to that first D, the, the D for devices, you know, um, I think you really need to select devices that help meet the clinical objectives that you have. You know, that's the first thing is set the clinical objectives, um, make sure you have um, the technology and the operational um, uh, structure in place to meet those objectives, and then select the, the devices that will meet, um, you know, the goals that you're trying to get to. And you can start with a small number of devices, you know, um, you could have blood pressure and weight scale, and that can that can solve a lot of issues right there. So it's not that you have to start off with uh, this big stable of, of devices right away. Yeah. Um, you want to be able to build into that over time. And if you do want to start to then, you know, new devices come out all the time. And if you do have aspirations to, to grow the program into something bigger, something more diverse, if you're, you know, if you're going to work with uh, an RPM vendor, you want to make sure you work with a vendor that has the capability to, to integrate with new devices in the future as they come out. Because like I said, new device is gonna come out over time. It's the wild, wild west in RPM right now. Um, yeah. You know, it's gonna be disruptive for a while. So you want a vendor that has those capabilities um, that's core to them. And and then also patients may want to use devices that they already have, you know? So you may have different, your strategy may change over time. Um, so having that flexibility to bring on new devices is key. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. And I, I have to change my mindset a lot because uh, always thinking about remote patient monitoring as like this cutting edge thing and it's going to have like the fanciest devices with the most features and the newest like form factor. But it's really not about that. It's it's about usability and reliability and like setting yourself up for consistency over months and years. You want devices that are you know, they, they, they don't have bugs, they're, they're durable, they're, they're long lasting, they're not going to confuse the patients, they're not going to flake out and fail. That's, uh, that's really what you need for a successful RPM program. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. You know, at its core, you know, RPM is, a, is about the ability to be, to be able to sense vitals, move that data from one place to another, and it has to be reliable. If you don't have that part of the program worked out, then everything, it's just going to snowball. Everything that's on top of it, it's its not going to work right. There's going to be a lot of manual interactions. There's going to be a lot of going back and forth with um, your technology team or the vendor to figure out what happened. And patients are going to be telling you, well, I took a reading, but you're not going to get the, the reading in your, in your EMR. So, you know, if you have to focus on that initial ability to be able to sense vitals, transmitted across the network and then to be able to flag if it doesn't get sent you know we want to know before the patient knows that there's there's a problem so when you you know you need to first focus on that foundational aspect and then after you have that built out then you can start to to add or maybe integrate with new devices add additional infrastructure and capabilities but then you're going to need strong governance to say okay, these things fit within the objectives that we have set out and these other demands and requests don't fit in. If you don't have that strong governance as you start to grow, then also that could be another point of failure 
where where you know you start to go down too many paths and almost feel starts to feel like nothing's getting done. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and Daryl, I really like your sort of point about starting sort of with the limited set of devices because you don't want to start throwing the kitchen sink <laughs> at at the patients, and you want uh, a stability of the program. You know, I think um, like one vantage point that I've kind of developed over the last, I guess, year, year and a half, because I currently sit in a more specialized healthcare landscape, that the device has to be like really relevant to the patient. You know, I mean, you, you talked about diabetes and other things like, you know, I've been used to mass market devices that focused on blood pressure, weight, steps, and so on. But now I have a more increased appreciation for devices that are only focused on a particular area, in my case being musculoskeletal. And you know, there are things like range of motion, weight bearing capabilities, you know, things that help you recover from a knee surgery just start becoming so much more nuanced and important that some of these, you know, the point that you were making earlier kind of gets heightened for me a lot more. So just curious, Daryl, like are there other specialty type of uh, healthcare RPM cases that you're sort of coming along that focus on that? like small user set, like small subset, but targeted and and not trying to boil the ocean. Yeah, you know, they're, they're, those are out there and they come up um, often. And you, you'll see in, in a large healthcare system, you'll, you'll see that um, there are so many projects going on. Sometimes you don't even know about it. And, and it's those small use cases that tend to fly underneath the radar, you know, whether it's... Um, uh, someone wants to track repetitive motion or or you're tracking athletes during their training. Um, and those those are definitely out there. And there's new devices that are popping up all the time. Um, what we've been seeing also is, you know, while we're, we have these small, what you're talking about, those devices that target um, musculoskeletal and, you know, the, 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 the patient segments that have, you know, small patient populations, we're also starting to see, you know, targeting across targeting of devices across the patient journey, you know? So, you know, you have devices that we may start to categorize, okay, we're going to leverage these consumer-based wearables for um, wellness and prevention. We're going to leverage specific devices for the post-discharge patients or or the patients with chronic diseases. And we're going to leverage different types of devices for higher acuity patients that may be in our hospital at home program um, as well. So we're, we're starting to see some of that specialization in disease state but then also, as patients start to progress and go through that that patient journey um, within their healthcare, you want to talk about connectivity as well. Oh yeah, and you know, connectivity that is something that um, when it comes to connectivity, this is something that um, it, it's important in multiple ways, right? So. You know, it's a, it's a, it, RPM is expensive and that's a hurdle that a lot of people need to get over and, and something that you face with how expensive it is to, to buy the devices, to, to buy the network connectivity for patients that may not have it. Right. Um, and then to have the operational capabilities to look at the data as it comes in. But in terms of connectivity, um, you want to make sure that you're not leaving patients behind just because they may not have certain, uh, certain uh, access to uh, whether it's high-speed internet um, to be able to send this data over, right? Some people may not have high-speed internet in their home. Some people may not know how to connect the devices that you send them to their internal Wi-Fi routers. 
Um, so we send, we have a high touch model and we send some devices or we send a lot of our devices to patients with the internet capabilities built in. So we'll send a data hub that has cellular connection such that the patient really just needs to plug it in, start wearing the, putting, you know, putting the devices on, taking readings, and then data gets sent to where it needs to be sent to. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I, I, I still grapple sometimes with my own internal Wi-Fi network. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's funny to even think, like, we, years ago when we had first looked at some of these uh, adherence devices to track, you know, pill uses and stuff, they had some models that were cellular. And, and those were prohibitively expensive and, you know, dead simple to set up, but, like, they needed a battery and they needed a connection to a cell tower. But these days, you know, maybe that's, maybe the simpler is the way to go. And cellulars come a long way. It might, it, at least where I live in a big city, like cellular might be more reliable than Wi-Fi. Uh, a few years ago, that didn't seem possible, but uh, maybe, maybe that's just my experience in the city. Yeah. And there's many devices, you know, that are coming with um, these internet connections that are built right into the devices, the, the, these LTE capable devices. And, you know, again, it's when you're in your house, you know, you may have to move it to a location that's near a window or everybody has their sweet spot within their house where they have to, you know, set their things up and, you know, maybe you have to hold it and hold your hand in a certain position. But also now with these LTE devices that have their own connection to the internet, you know, now you can start to wear these devices outside of the home and you can start to be a little bit more mobile and, and bring it to a consumer, a really a truly consumer centric model and um, not need the patient to be in the house in order for them to uh, measure their vitals. Yeah. You know, I mean, you guys are making such an important point. And I think this kind of highlights what I was you know, trying to get to in the, in the article as well is, and hopefully the audience really understands and appreciates um, all the other considerations that that go in, like you know, we just like double clicked on one item, which is getting the devices and the connectivity is you know, part of it. And there's so many aspects of LTE and cellular and so on. And um, in, and not to be forgotten, you know, the f- part that a lot of times these devices have the potential to help a lot of the underserved populations, and you know we just can't expect them to use their data plans for that. And to the point that Nick talked about, like in big cities. Yes, there's you know, cellular is better than uh, than Wi-Fi. What happens when you're in a rural setting? So just taking that one item and trying to double click on that creates this like massive space um, to 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 consider. So uh, it's 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 fascinating. Thank you. Um, and I guess Daryl, maybe shifting things a little bit on one of the other D's around the data part of it, because you know, that probably allows us to shift from you know, the, the patient and which is the connectivity that getting them the devices and configuring them and making it easier and so on. But then there's this volume and velocity of data that starts getting generated. Um, any thoughts on, on that um, as, as you think through, think, think through it? Oh yeah, definitely. As you, as you start to lower acuity patients, you know, what we've traditionally seen is we deploy devices that, um, was we called them intermittent, uh, you know, devices. So you take readings once, twice, three times a day. Um, and, you know, when you start to become a higher acuity patient, we're starting to get into more of these continuous based devices where, where data is just coming out multiple times per minute, multiple times per second. 
And that's a lot of data that's coming out, right? So one, you need to be able to, to process all of that data, right? Um, sometimes uh, the manufacturer of the device will have a specialized algorithm to process the data that comes right off the device and they will pre-process that data and then send the vitals over to the healthcare system. Um, and you may need that vendor to then process the alerts for you, you know, and tell you that this is a, an alert that just happened. Um, and also, you know, you may not want to store all of the data within the uh, electronic medical record. You may want the, the vendor or the device manufacturer to then um, throttle the data so that you only get readings every several minutes, uh, every half an hour, every hour or something like that. And and then also, if, if the patient's wearing the device all the time, you know, at afternoon, nights, weekends, do you have staff on call to be able to look at that data as it's coming in was 3 a.m. in the morning, right? So you have to measure the, the acuity of the patient and then scale your, your program, um, your operational part of your program to meet that, right? Um, so do you kind of uh, suppress alarms during the evenings or do you have um, uh, a staff that's available should an alarm come through on nights and weekends? So, so there's there's more things to think about and it changes your workflow slightly as you start to move to devices that are throwing off the data all the time. Yeah, but I'm super excited about that kind of uh, those devices that are generating more data than is clinically necessary, at least in the short term, because, you know, when when that when those data sets are basically we need we need more data to move the field forward uh, we need secondary use of data for for research for clinical operations uh, etc obviously it's got to be properly de-identified and, and packaged and so forth and, and checked for errors and stuff but we're never gonna get better at identifying you know the patients that are at risk for disease progression or we're never going to be able to interrupt exacerbations before they're clinically you know uh, unavoidable uh, unless we like really scrutinize some of these uh, fields uh, that are coming in from these new new kinds of devices. Yeah. No, I think that uh, that's an interesting point. And maybe, uh, you know, we, we start sort of closing out on, on that sort of point itself, because, you know, what you're pointing to Nick and, and that this makes me think, you know, we're kind of laying the, foundations or the, the plumbing for all of this to happen and all the challenges that the audiences are hearing, whether it's connectivity or the type of device, the secondary users, this is all leading up to the point where you actually start seeing tremendous value out of it. And I think the industry is on that path. Um, I know we make predictions uh, on this on this call, but, you know, and, and I, one prediction I can make is that, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be visiting this topic many, many times again. But I do see a trend towards laying down these sort of cabling and pipeline related to remote, push, remote patient monitoring so that in a few years, we start seeing the value of it. We'll see what works, what doesn't work, where you need a 3M person to react to things and other times where someone needs to only look at it a week later, two weeks later, perhaps even like six months later. So just so excited about you know, how this um, industry evolves. Nick, um, Daryl, any closing thoughts as we wrap this up? I don't know. I was, uh, I'll say like when we first started talking about this, we were, you know, right after the, the first surge in the pandemic and telehealth had really, telehealth adoption had really taken off and it just seemed 
you know, maybe I was naive, but it just seemed that like, okay, remote patient monitoring is going to be the next major investment. And, you know, 2021 is going to be the year of remote patient monitoring or something, <laughs> just like 2020 was finally the year of telehealth. But I, I don't know. I, I still think it's very much like in a pilot phase and there's, you know, a few centers here and there are like deploying, you know, uh, early investments and, and so forth. But I, I don't see it taking off uh, anywhere near the scale that telehealth did, at least uh, not for the next few years. Fair point. Daryl, you get the last word. Yeah, you know, I I, I think it, it definitely is going to be the wild, wild west for the next several years. I think there's going to be consolidation in the market. You're going to see um, other co- retail companies that are, you know, um, purchasing um, some some of these RPM vendors in this space. And then I think you're really going to see the lines start to blur from these these consumer-based wearables, things that were just really steps and um, targeted toward fitness. I think they're going to start to have more and more sensors in them um, that that can that can that can start to capture some of these these vitals that we would expect to be in these clinical grade. Um, um, devices, you know, and they may have to start going through FDA regulation as well. So I think the lines are going to start to blur as to what's one of these traditional consumer-based wearables and what's, you know, what's one of these uh, clinical-based devices that we would normally deploy to patients. And it's going to be interesting as we move forward. But I think it, it will definitely benefit the patient going forward, giving them more options um, as they progress through that, that care uh, journey and life cycle. Uh, well said. All right. Well, it is. Uh, it's great to hear from you, Daryl. Uh, and uh, congratulations again, Stipto, on this uh, nice article on remote patient monitoring. Um, and that's it for this edition of Digital Health Unfiltered. We Thank will you. See you next yes. time. Thank you. All right. Take care, everyone. That's it for this week. Join us again next time on Digital Health Unfiltered. Please note that the views presented in this podcast are not to be construed as the views of Mount Sinai Health System or the Hospital for Special Surgery or any of its affiliates.